Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey there, everybody. How you doing? Ed Larson here from The Brighter Side. And I want to tell you about this crazy event I got going on. It's called The Great mugshot roast and it's all presented by last podcast network and it's going to be on the last podcast network twitch channel the whole thing is a benefit for the last prisoner project which is a great organization that gets people out of jail on marijuana charges yeah yeah, of course it's a no-brainer so let's raise some money and roast some mugshots of volunteers only uh i can't wait for this we'll see you guys on september 12th Objection, everybody! Objection! Hold it! Hold it! Get it! Get it! I love it. Like your name. It's like your name. You're holding. What are you? You're a bruiser. I'm smile. Didn't do it. The cute witness with a pleasant demeanor who definitely did it. I'm like, oh, gee, golly, I don't even know knife. I've never even seen a knife before. Good golly, goo. And even if I were to slit that bastard's throat cheek to cheek just to feel the blood drip down my fingers, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Hee hee hoo hoo. And today we are talking about Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, a series of visual novel adventure games centered around a defense lawyer. The game is broken up into two sections investigation, where the player travels around to different spaces conducting interviews and collecting evidence. And there is the, the trial at which the lawyer must take on difficult prosecutors and witnesses and supply enough of that evidence and contradictions to their stories in order to get the client a not guilty Wait verdict. Wait a minute, Holden, is that what this series is about? Because I just entered, obviously, as I do with every episode, uh, I entered the name of the franchise, in this case, uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. I popped it into Google. And what I was led to understand is 
This is a story about how a guy in a blue suit and a guy in a purple suit in a cravat uh, have sex with each other all the time and <laughs> kiss their naked bodies. I guess there's a lot of weird fan stuff around this franchise is what Jake is referring to, but I'm talking about the fun lawyer game that I, I played. I'm looking at the Google right now and I don't see anything <laughs> about a video game. It's definitely a series of fictions, comics, and artworks about these two uh, deeply in love men and their buff toned bodies. Yes. Uh, there's also porn, I guess, when it comes to this. But we're not here to speak about what you could very easily Google while you're sitting at your desk right now, <laughs> pretending to work. We all know you're not. So stop trying to work right now. In fact, everybody listen to this while you're trying I to work. I deeply, deeply over. love just the idea the of sit- a guy at his office typing in, <laughs> looking up all this stuff, and then just like the boss, like classic. I'm talking big burgundy suspenders, a mug yeah. of steaming hot coffee, mm. and just like peers over and it's just like, what you're looking at there, yowie? You got your yowie? Well, as long as you do it on your own time, that's fine. Just keep up the good work. Yeah, we're going to have to <laughs> demote you now. Um, is that okay? Anyways, uh, yeah, this is a wonderful series of games. I'm so glad we're finally getting to this episode because honestly, Jake and I, uh, early in our history, hit it off in a way at the Creek in the Cave in Queens, or I'm sorry, Long Island City, talking about this game mm-hmm. series because I was probably, I, I believe I was probably playing my 3DS at the bar before an episode of Roundtable of Gentlemen and I was maybe playing that particular game and then you talked about how it connects to the interesting difference between the American and Japanese lo- systems of law, which we'll get into more. It's very, one of my the more interesting angles when it comes to this series. But I will just say, you know, I've talked about this many times. I had a Nintendo DS renaissance of sorts. One of my favorite things to do is get a really good console, like a console everybody loves. In my case, the Nintendo, I got a a 3DS, but we'll just say DS, and a uh, Xbox 360, and you get those amazing consoles or handhelds right at the end of their life cycle. So you literally just have like, a hundred good games to play almost essentially. So that was the case for me. And uh, if you just Google like best games on the Nintendo DS and you look up all those listicles, pretty much everyone is going to have an entry for Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. It was such a fantastic game for that handheld. It was something that speaking of your office job, when while doing this research gave me a bizarre different kind of almost anti-nostalgia of a time in my life where I was trapped in my office job uh, before getting to do this full time. And, uh, you know, th- that that game, that series of games got me through it in a lot of ways because I would play this on subway trips, mm-hmm. on a lot of travel play, a lot of, you know, but also at home even just, um, you know, I remember because at that point, Lexi, even though we lived both in New York City, she lived like an hour away from me by train. So because that's how New York works. So on those trips, I was playing a lot of this game when I was out at her place and didn't have access to any other consoles and I was needed to feed my addiction. I was playing a lot of these games and really super loving them. I definitely have qualms. We'll talk about the negatives when it comes to these things. But at the end of the day, it is such a fun franchise. The the characters, the sprite animation, the writing, and just the actual joy of the mystery solving and the law stuff. I think one of the biggest draws for me was just the ridiculous gimmick that you could yell, actually yell objection <laughs> Such a into gimmick. your microphone in the Nintendo DS. And it would, uh, he would shout objection in the game. And it was just, there's so much it, that all just goes to say it, there's so much 
uh, charm in these games and and every little nook and cranny. There's so much heart and charm and fun to be had in a Phoenix Wright game. Then also there's this this great cross-pollination of American and and Japanese cultures. There's uh, a lot of fun to be had there. That gets really wishy-washy when it comes to the localization, Mm -hmm. which I was uh, had a great time learning more about um, because this is a good example of fantastic localization for a series. Well, it's a, it's incredible how I mean it's fantastic and in the ways that like there are very few series where the amount of localization that goes into it is so readily apparent. Well, you blew my mind with just the sheer word count of oh, these games. Oh, yeah. Comparing them to actual like giant novels. If you've read, like- if you have played all three of the original uh, GBA slash DS uh, Phoenix Wright games, Phoenix Wright, which Phoenix I have, Wright, Ace Attorney, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, Justice for All, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, Trials and Tribulations. If you have played all three of those games, you have cumulatively read more words than the entirety of War and Peace. Yeah, and like I would never have read through all of War and Peace. But you throw in some weird anime ghost ladies and like, turns out I'll read all the world in Rub War. And, you know, player choice and puzzle solving and all that good stuff that you get out of an adventure game. And uh, this also is a good time to bring up that, you know, this game really brought the visual novel to America like possibly no other game had up to this point. And later we've got the success of games like Danganronpa even I think 999 is a great example of a fantastic DS uh, visual novel game. But that one, you know, less of a household name than Phoenix Wright. Most people now, maybe it's just because you played Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Maybe it's just, you know, the general nomenclature. But but most people, I feel like I've heard the phrase Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney by this so point. So this has been, uh, what struck me the most about doing this is the fact that the first game came out in 2001. Um, well, in Japan, it came out in 2005 in America for the DS. But uh, so for 20 years, this series has just been part of like anime and gamer culture that like even if you've never picked up one of these games and, you know, compared to something like a FIFA to compared to a Fortnite compared to a Call of Duty, not a lot of people have played these games, but you've definitely seen an objection meme. You've definitely seen. Like uh, whether it was on a Newgrounds fan flash animation or a weird YouTube poop or just any other kind of like Twitter meme that will come across like the vocabulary, the visual iconography, the flow of Phoenix Wright is a part of almost Internet culture more so than even gamer culture. And I find that fascinating. Um, You know, we've reached an era where these games could have full voice acting. They could have like full HD realistic graphics. They could do all these sorts of things. But even if you pick up the newest release, uh, the Ace Attorney, great Ace Attorney Chronicles, you're going to like, it's still going to be little anime people and their text box is just going to be beep, 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 with the text going on like at the bottom. It's still going to have that like classic visual novel adventure feel. And that kind of keeps... It's just it's it feels like an Ace Attorney game is a familiar space. It's like a friend's house that you keep coming yeah. back to year after year. And it's so familiar and homey that I just immediately get lost in the rhythm of these of these games. You know what's f- funny though is a lot of that it comes from the sheer repetition that they needed to have 
in place in the game just for cost reasons and what they could fit on the cartridge. You know what I mean? Not that I feel like either that it gets repetitive, that they find a brilliant way to have these kind of regularly repeating sound effects, moments, sprites, images even but you like love them yeah yeah and but you love them and 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 those are things that exactly feel more like home and not like a cheap Mm -hmm. trick you know what i mean and so i really that is really just fantastic i think it was funny we were talking about this on my um other show pop history page seven about rupaul's (laughs) drag race it has a similar vibe in the sense that like every time you come to it you're going to hear these same phrases same sound effects, same visuals over and over again. And there's something about that that's like hip, hypnotic in a strange way. So you just keep coming back to it again and again. And I agree. Every time I start a new Phoenix Wright game now, I'm like, I do feel like, oh, back to this comfort zone. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say, if we would get into it just briefly, you know, that comfort zone can get quite uncomfortable at times. There is some pretty brutal like restart moments if you don't get everything right. And there's uh, a lot of issues with, I think, like checkpointing, especially in the trial section, uh, where if you just if you fuck up, I mean, and you have to you'll have to start like a whole trial sequence over. And that can be very brutal. Sometimes in the investigations, it can be frustrating because you just don't know where to go next. and You can't figure it out. And all you want to do is figure it out yourself. You don't want to be handheld. The other thing that was funny for me was I literally just couldn't look things up because I was oftentimes playing this game underground. (laughs) So I think I have a very specific connection with that issue because I literally was like, I cannot wait. Like, I'm literally, I just started my journey to Lexi's place in in Queens. Please, please, I don't know the answer to this. And I, I have to wait another 30 minutes before I get like five minutes of Wi-Fi at this one specific stop. But that is a Holden problem. And it's not anymore because I'm in LA, baby. I swim in pools now. I smoke that legal greenery, Jake. I fucking love it, Listen, bro. I did. I did. And you I don't thought- even... Don't come at me, man, because I'm on island time, man. I thought the fame is what would change you, but it turns out just exposure to sunlight. You finally have <laughs> vitamin D in your blood again. Yeah, your rickets bro. are cured, and now you're dead. Yeah. What was my friend Holden, and what was just the rickets talking? Now I'm into piss play <laughs> and all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> Objection! <laughs> I'll present you a cup of this to show you that's and I'll play in it to show you that's not a contradiction. All right, please. We haven't even started talking about this thing. We're already talking about how I want to roll around in a puddle of my own piss. That's the wizard and the bruiser difference. Want to pay me to do it. <laughs> you could Sorry. look it up on Wikipedia. You could one. learn all these facts yourself, but are you going to hear these great piss riffs? Are you going to hear these piss riffs? All right. I think right now we just want to do like uh, dudes doing a comedy podcast yeah. for the next hour. We just talk about like bodily functions, but let's instead talk about the history. No, I'm really excited to get into this because honestly, this was one of those that I'm like, gee, I oh. hope there's an interesting story here. And boy, is there ever in many different ways. Uh, so let's talk about them. And I love it when it comes down to really one person. And there are more people that helped make this game be amazing. But you can really point to Shu Takumi, born in 1971 in Japan as the true creator of this franchise. He was a little different from the other kids. He was quiet, loved books, especially mystery fiction. He was led to drawing in middle school as he became a fan of Fujiko Fujio, which was actually a two-person manga team responsible for stuff like Doraemon, about a romantic cat that travels back in time from the 22nd century to help a boy. (laughs) (laughs) 
He also played classical guitar and was a member of the Magic Club. These two things are actually very important when it comes to Phoenix Wright, and we'll get to that later. Very into music, very into magic. Takumi said, It all might look a bit random, but my youth consisted of mystery, music, and magic, mm. which I love. Uh, he also loved video games. From a young age, he, he but he did have a hard time getting into arcades because, and I, lo- I didn't realize this was true for Japan as it was for America. Arcades back in the day, kids, were cool bad kid places to hang out. And there was chain smoking, and there was like leather jackets, and just a lot of fun stuff going on when it came to arcades. And then they became, you know, and then they got more associated with like being nerdy and stuff. And that's fine too. I'm into that. But it was cool for a little while. They were like, dangerous, which I love. And I guess that was also true for Japan. So it was hard for him to get into an arcade at such a young age, uh, you know, with his parents and stuff like that. So instead, he found computer games. His dad was one of those guys. I love him. I've got my buddy Cena is the version of that for me. Super into tech stuff. Always gets like the newest thing, which means I get to play with the newest thing without having to purchase the newest <laughs> thing. And uh, but also quickly leaves behind the newest thing. Great, great situation for a kid. So that includes the PC eight eight zero one home computer from Nippon Electric, which used cassettes to load up programs to it. Also, though, you would use, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, you would use magazines to manually enter the code for the games. And uh, that is actually how Takuma Takumi got into some early programming, early, early stage programming in his childhood. One of the most important games for young Takumi was called Mystery House. Mm-mm-mm. This was released by the precursor Uh, for Sierra Games Online Systems in 1980 on the Apple II. Later, it was remade for Japan with more realistic artwork and gore on the PC-8801. He referred to it as the game that, quote, left the biggest impression of me, what I would consider, what I could consider my formative game experience. Uh, Takuma also said, the games I had known until then were invader-like games. They were simply testing your reflexes, but all you saw on the screen of Mystery House was the door of a mysterious manor. And there in the corner of the screen was one phrase, enter command. This was the very first form of an adventure game where you used the keyboard to input whatever command you liked. Input command, if you type open followed by door and look the door opened well now you're thinking of course it works like that but imagine the sensation young me felt of seeing things happen on the screen exactly as i ordered wow the door opened i cried out adorably and so the adventure game genre where you advance in the adventure by your own actions managed to find a special place in my heart and by adding that other thing i loved Mystery fiction, bringing those two things together. It should be noted that the uh, mystery house for the NEC 8801 that gave uh, young Shutakumi, who uh, I think it should be noted to this day, looks like a uh, baby-faced nerd with big ears and little glasses, just an adorable man. Um, It looks hilarious. It looks like a strong bad parody of what an early PC game should look like. It is just hard, jagged edges, squares and rectangles, and the goofiest, like, stick figure people lying on the ground with cartoon knives sticking out of their face. It's very hilarious. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing that, you know, he's kind of... Within the games of Phoenix Wright, there's so many characters that are based on magicians. You have Trucy, who is, like, Phoenix Wright's adopted daughter. You have Gavin and Kristoff, the... Uh, the rocker uh prosecutors that are always like, like there's 
everything always seems to take place backstage at a rock concert or at an opera house or at a magic show. And that like very nerdy specific love where, you know, stage misdirection and like little creepy little corners and trap doors and all these things are possible. That knowledge of kind of objects and places not behaving as you would expect them to really just kind of is almost every single case in the Phoenix Wright series involves like, but what if this was actually a hidden switchblade? And what if this was a clock? And what if this had a trap door? Like so much of the plots and the twists of Phoenix Wright had to have come from someone with a deep understanding of magic and stagecraft. And it's the colorfulness of that, the showmanship Mm -hmm. of those things that make it not just some weird, stiff kind of, uh, boring courtroom drama scenario when it comes to the games. I think that's one of the funnest things to like get across to people. Like, a, it's really funny to be like, I'm playing a video game where I'm a lawyer <laughs> trying to like get people off in a court of law, like trying to get that not guilty verdict, which I think is just hilarious. And the yelling of objection, but then you're like, and then add this whole layer of just like over the topness of just complete ridiculous exaggerated reality, and man, it makes for such an entertaining fun both read and gameplay experience. And uh, another interesting thing, this kind of reminds me of me a little bit. He couldn't get his hands on a Famicom, as we know, the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System in here in the States. And the hardware he had at home became obsolete. So he actually puts down games for a long time. And instead, he's reading mystery fiction for these several years while uh, getting out of high school. And it's at some point in college that he's brought back to games. And it was because a friend of his, a very important friend in his story, actually, picks up a Super Famicom, of course, Super NES for us uh, in America. And that is how he kind of got his resurgence into video games, which sort of happened to me in college. I was like, oh, yeah, video games. And I like, got back into them uh, in a pretty decent way and in a nostalgic way, too, because I was playing like old stuff. And uh, I think those two things started emerging. But he was never thinking about game making as a career at this point in his life. Uh, but let's talk about some of his earliest influences because they're really going to come into play when it comes to him creating Phoenix Wright. The first and probably most important one is the book Dr. Doolittle as a kid. That was his first experience with a story, as he puts it, and it had a big influence on his own writing, ex- writing style. Takumi said, for example, people say of my writing that I have a unique sense of wording things. I sometimes sound a bit old-fashioned, and that my Japanese is easy to read. This is all the influence of Dr. Doolittle. The stories were already classics when I first read them. So there are some outdated ways of saying things, and there's an everlasting sense of familiarity. Uh, I read them so often, the particular rhythm of these stories were etched into my body. My formative experience of realizing how fun it was to have a strange incident that solved was in these stories, and that led to the world of mystery fiction. Uh, Doolittle also used his special powers to solve cases, and the Ace Attorney, of course, is loaded with supernatural stuff, like spirit mediums and the Cyclops. Hell, even a parrot gets put on the stand uh, early on in the game. It's a very interesting thing where he says, like, Dr. Doolittle influenced the uh, supernatural elements of mystery solving in the Phoenix Wright games, because in the first game, you're introduced to the idea of spirit mediums through the character of Maya Faye, who can like talk to the dead and how that kind of complicates things. 
Um, later in the series, we're introduced to Apollo Justice, who has like a magic bracelet that vibrates when someone is doing a poker tell. It like allows the uh, Ludo narrative. Ooh, I love that word. Mm, love you saying the word Ludo narrative. Ooh, yummy, yum, Jake. Come on. Are you coming on? Uh, right now? Idea so- that novel game mechanic game mechanics help you find the truth in different ways, even though it is just still the power of deduction and perception. Um I, another very influential thing. So he's reading a lot of like Western stuff, a lot of Sherlock Holmes, a lot of uh, Agatha Christie, like classic stuff. And interestingly enough, he's reading Japanese mystery authors who are also getting inspired by these new Western murder mysteries, including someone named Edogawa Rampo, who is, uh, if I if you say that name with a thick Japanese accent, it's a highly Japis, Japanicized version of Edgar Allan Poe, Edogawa ah. Ron Poe. Ah. And so it's a fun kind of uh, nom de plume to like kind of harken back to this Japanese guy who wrote all these iconic um, mystery stories. In fact, the uh, short story, The Psychological Test, is a gigantic part Huge. of his influence to the point where I looked up uh, passages from this and I'm going to read just a couple of sentences from uh, The Psychological Test by Edogawa Rampo. And you're going to be like, this sounds like an Ace Attorney script, okay? Uh, the day before the crime, did you say? Dr. Akechi repeated loudly. That's very strange. Mr. Fukuya just stated a moment ago that he saw it two days before the crime <laughs> was committed, which was the third of last month. Furthermore, he was very positive as to where he had seen it, in the very room where the old woman was murdered. Now, this is all very contradictory. Surely one of you must be mistaken. Dr. Akechi watched Fukuya's face with rapt interest for the expression that the latter now wore was akin to that of a little girl on the verge of tears. Suddenly, Dr. Akechi pointed an accusing finger at the student and demanded sharply, why did you say you saw something which you could not have seen? Like you can hear the Phoenix Wright music happening as I'm reading this. It's totally. like almost beat for beat a uh, Phoenix Wright pursuit breakdown witness confrontation scene. Yeah, down to the finger point. Like that's so iconic. That's so real. That's like note for note. Another way that our uh, auteur, Mister uh, Shu Takumi, ended up. Coming to mystery novels and exploring that whole world actually came from Lupin the Third, the anime, which uh, was we've talked about so many times. So Lupin important. The third. Yeah, this was actually based on the Arsene Lupin series, uh, and that was the book series he ended up picking up because of his love for the anime. This is a French series of novels about a gentleman thief and master of disguise. And in one, he is in one of the books he was given. Uh, there are several novels and novellas in the series. Lupin meets Sherlock Holmes, which led him to those mystery books, and it was on like Donkey Kong after that. He's reading through the works of Valerie Queen, Dixon Carr, Chesterton's Father Brown series. He also loved the show Columbo. Let's talk about it, Jake. Are you saying there's just one more thing? Are you <laughs> saying there's just one more thing about Columbo? Yeah, I'll get out of your hair in just a second. There's just one more thing about this TV show called Columbo. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Jake, do you want to describe Columbo for everybody? This is like so, so incredibly influential when it comes to uh, this series. I also love it because it's one of Carolina of LPN fames, of No Dogs in Space fames, uh, uh, favorite TV shows. So it's weirdly been like 
in the background as something I'm like, I, maybe I should check out Columbo. Uh, so uh, what do you got to say? Know, Columbo about? was a twist on the classic TV detective. You know, we'd had our dragnets. We had our Perry Mason, which obviously was another influence that we'll probably talk about. And uh, Peter Falk as Columbo was kind of this aw shucks down on his luck guy. He was not like the most two fisted noir hero you ever saw. And most of the time, uh, it wasn't about him like putting the pieces together and like solving the, you know, figuring out who the killer was at the last second with a big kind of uh, like aha moment. Usually it was, we knew who the killer was in a Columbo story and it was just about trapping him and tripping him up. And the classic move is kind of Columbo is, you know, has the, has the villain in on the ropes. He's confronting him. He's like, just, he's, he's so close to getting him to crack and like, but he's getting stonewalled. There's the the alibis are too airtight. There's no way around it. And and uh, and Peter Falk turns around, having seemingly defeated, and then he turns back slowly around. It's like, just just one more thing. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice that you said you were getting your shoes shined, but uh, your shoes, the fucking filthy <laughs> ah, animal. Right, like, and, and then that one inconsistency. Yeah, Peter Falk swore like a sailor. It, it was the '70s. They just let that happen on TV. <laughs> Oh, on Kojak, please. he just fucked on screen. Like it was <laughs> I will say The seventies were crazy. When it comes to uh, Phoenix Wright and Columbo too, I think it's also important to mention the comical elements of the character mm-hmm. of Columbo, and that is definitely infused as well into Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney for a couple reasons. I think the influence of Columbo, big one. The other one too was just because it's always centered around these murders, these very serious, normally situations. So he injects quite a bit of humor to keep it not totally in that vein uh, the whole time. Yes, Perry Mason, you already mentioned, the courtroom drama novels of Perry Mason were a big influence, as well to the point that he saw Ace Attorney would not exist, said Ace Attorney would not exist without Perry Mason. Oh, he also said, when I was a kid, I used to record the audio of Columbo episodes on a cassette tape and listen to them in my room. But the one I listened most to was Negative Reaction. Looking back, I think it has all the essentials of Columbo. The surprise ending, but there's also the part where Columbo is mistaken for a homeless guy, which, by the way, he makes Phoenix right a homeless guy uh, uh, at one point in the series. I, I don't know. Is he fully homeless? He's a, he's very bum-like. He's He kind of, I think he sleeps in his office. It's very, it's hit or miss. <laughs> what they do with that character. He said, it has everything Columbo. If I needed to recommend one episode, it would be negative reaction. Then there's magic, which he was super into through college, taught him more than anything about pacing and the big buildup to the reveal. Takumi said that there's the concept of a routine in magic. It's about how each of your movements are planned from the moment you greet the audience until you leave the stage. Let's say you have a trick with four balls and you start out with one and end up with four. In between, you'll make more balls appear or disappear, but each of those movements have meaning to them. Of course, to surprise the audience, but sometimes the movement is there to make things more convenient for the performer themselves. You might need to distract the eyes of the audience with one hand so you can prepare something in secret with the other hand. For example, it's here where the story on stage and the story backstage overlap. I like that about magic. The same holds for a mystery story. You prepare things backstage while the audience is watching what is happening on the stage. And again, I think that is very similar to the investigation trial idea. The trial would be 
on stage, the investigation would be backstage. So there's all these things going on that the audience at the trial doesn't understand, but you understand because uh, you put that work in beforehand, interviewing witnesses and learning little things that you now have to prove in a court of law. So naturally, in college, coming out of college, he's like, I want to write mystery novels. That's what I love. That's what I'm obsessed with. Sure, I enjoy playing games, but you know, come on. This is this is my thing. Yeah. And like most authors... Uh, he succeeds Just, wildly. Yeah, exactly. He gets an agent immediately. He gets all of his uh, manuscripts published. He's just living the dream, uh, fucking in a big mansion made out of gold. His play like all most that. amateur starting writers. Uh, no, he is, of course, rejected oh. by everyone. And, uh, and that is what it is. He's struggling. And then that buddy from college he was playing that Super Famicom with actually was the one to point him toward Capcom, saying, hey, they're a good company. Takumi said, it was around that time at, that a college friend of mine, Tanka Shuntaro, who is nowadays a game director at Sega, was working on a proposal for a game, which he needed for his job hunting activities. He appeared to have a lot of fun with it, so I thought I might want to give it a try, too. That is how I got my job. It was Shintaro who recommended Capcom to me, even though he himself went to Sega. If it wasn't for Shintaro, I wouldn't be here today. At the interview uh, for his job uh, over at Capcom, he brought magic tricks and performed them for the interviewer, and the interviewer what loved a, it. Did I mention he's a weird baby-faced nerd? Did I, I mention this? Do you, do you, I love I, it. Can you paint a mental picture in your head? <laughs> Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, his first two gigs at Capcom were uh, a game called Scary Rumors at School. Hanako-san is here. But more importantly, Street Fighter, the movie, the game. Incredible. My favorite titled thing. I love that he worked on that. So hilarious. During this time, however, he comes up with an idea for a detective game, which was rejected. But it starts him down the path to Ace Attorney. And instead, he ends up joining, and this is another important step, he ends up joining the Biohazard team, also known as Resident Evil. We did a whole episode on that game coming together over at Capcom, very similarly to Phoenix Wright in the sense that they were this small up-and-coming group, but they didn't have a lot of corporate oversight because it wasn't a big-budget project, and what ends up happening is Resident Evil and this massive franchise uh, because that game is so hugely popular. Well, ironically enough, he didn't work on Resident Evil 2. He worked on the weird prototype version, what is now colloquially known as Resident Evil 1.5, which got Ah. very far into production before it was kind of upended and almost redone with uh, the dual protagonists and a lot of other of the uh, mechanics and story beats that are now hmm. that made it a classic. So even even early on, he was actually kind of on the ropes because the first big project he worked on. N- no offense to Street Fighter the movie, the game. I'm, it was a <laughs> uh, sure fun effort. It was really 
You definitely got uh, Kylie Minogue to uh, pose for some digitized sprites. So good for you. And yeah, you got Jean-Claude Van Damme to cheat on his wife in a cocaine bender with Kylie Minogue. So there's that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's all yeah, it's it's all there in the game. You just have to like get the <laughs> secret ending. You gotta beat Akuma <laughs> and you can see Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh anyway. cheat on his wife. <laughs> um, for sure. But yeah, he's then put on Dino Crisis. Which, if you don't remember, is uh what if Resident Evil had dinosaurs? And he's put it in charge of this. And he's eventually actually demoted from director to planner because it was way too early for him to be fully in charge of a team making a game like this but the game is successful and he does good work on it and actually that puts him back in the director role for the sequel and the success of the sequel is what gives him a six-month dev cycle to put whatever he wants together as a new idea. do they even let you do this anymore like imagine capcom as we now know it like Capcom now just giving that much full reign to a developer as like a fun how do you do I mean Nintendo kind of did that with Pokemon, the original Pokemon Snap, but I'm not sure. I mean, I wonder too, though, because you do have stuff like Pokemon Unite recently, a fucking MOBA for Pokemon, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's because the Chinese government teamed up with Tencent and was like, (laughs) more money now. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it does. I don't think it does. Pokemon Unite is not a scrappy team. (laughs) It is a world conquest. (laughs) I don't know. It's just weird, though. Well, regardless, a team of just seven people led by Takumi decides to make that detective game for the then-unreleased Game Boy Advance. Takumi wore a lot of hats on this project, especially after a few members dropped out, which put him at the helm for character animation, background, system graphics, music, sound effects, and programming. So that music basis really comes into play here because the music of the game, we'll get into more of it later, but the music for this game is fucking great and and it does such a good job of like building tension without being obnoxious, just really solid. Takumi said... But we were just making this game somewhere hidden away in the corner of the company, so there was no pressure at all, and we could work rather relaxed. We were all young, and we poured our all into it, without thinking about what our limits would be. But now I think about it, I'm amazed just two people managed to create all the graphical assets, and two programmers did the whole thing. And I, on my turn, was the planner, scenario writer, and the director in one. I could not have imagined that this game would be going on even now. So most mystery games at the time, you just had you choosing the correct dialogue option, mostly just a visual novel, essentially. But Takumi wanted to take it a step further and incorporate adventure game mechanics into it, like he played in Mystery House. By having the player collecting evidence, then facing off against another character looking to expose them with contradictions using said evidence, as well as deductive reasoning. Takumi said yes. Ace Attorney was originally supposed to be a detective game, so naturally Phoenix was to be a private eye. But then one day, I made a startling realization. The gameplay concept I was going for was for players to enjoy finding and taking contradictions apart, but that was hardly related to investigating or detective work at all. In that moment, I had it. I realized that the main setting for the game should be the courtroom. In fact, I think in the initial scenario, even for the detective story he was working with, the detective ends up having to represent himself in a trial. And I think it just, he realized, like, this is the game. This It's just the trial and the, like, it, it should be a lawyer. And again, I mean, t- we've done detective stories, mm-hmm. right? I think we've done a million of them. Even at that time, there was a lot of detective uh, stuff. In Japan, in Japan, uh, the detective adventure game was very popular, even on consoles. The Famicom Mystery Club, uh, the Portopia Murders. Like, these were, uh, not a lot of them made their way to America, but it was a very well-established genre the kind of text-based visual novel 
uh, murder mystery was like absolutely a part of the Japanese gaming scene. But the mixture of the graphical adventure elements and the uh, kind of taking instead of dialogue options, your individual choices on where to look and where to go and what to present and what to challenge uh, completely upended the usual flow of these games. Completely. And I would even say that the lawyer game is still novel to this day. There's not a ton of that. It, it's still unique and interesting and why I picked it up in the first place, even back in, when was it, 2016, probably, 2015. Uh, it was still this very interesting, like, I had so much fun telling my lawyer father, like, I'm playing a lawyer video yeah, game. Yeah, How yeah. weird is that? Like, on the BSR, I did play a bunch of one of them on a trip with my parents uh, to the beach, actually, for a little summer vacay. But I digress. Um, I will also say for research, once they decided on the lawyer stuff, on the courtroom drama stuff, Takumi and the composer Sujimori attended a murder trial uh, in order to do F- research. Fun! What a fun, hilarious trip for work. And it was funny, especially if you know Ace Attorney, and uh, you've already heard us talk about how over the top the game is. They were actually surprised at how like quiet and subdued <laughs> the whole thing was. So I think maybe they learned like what not to do. They're like, well, we can't make it like this. We got to make it crazy. There's got to be confetti. Wait a minute. The, the judge doesn't even have a big funny hammer. What's going on here? He actually, yeah. They were also like, the judge doesn't have a gavel. He never quiets up the room or, or ever has to because no one gets that unruly. But uh, I, they were like, all right, we'll just do the opposite. Takumi wanted to make a simple game as well, both due to his resources, just the seven people, even less maybe after the others dropped out, but also because he wanted to make a game that his non-gamer mother could enjoy. And you always talk about that. And I think that's brilliant because... I love that aspect of these games, that they're just very, like, wrapped up in a nice little boat. They're very simple. They're very low impact. And that was very helpful for me as a way to wind down before or after work. You know what I mean? Or during my lunch break. It was just such a nice thing. We talked about how it's such a comfort to go back to. With most of the trials, especially the tutorial one at the beginning, it's actually a how catch em story is how he refers to it instead of a who done it. The player already knows the true culprit, they must then work to expose them. It is an inverted detective story. And again, that's Columbo. Mm. And I think that is, again, the fun of it, right? Is that, because I think I even get frustrated personally when I read mystery stories, because I'm like, I don't know. I'm not good at this. This is not my thing. But already just knowing who did it and just needing to just show everyone how, for some reason, that clicks so much better for me. Takumi wanted there to be also a nice combo of surprise moments of ice and icy revelatory moments of, of moments of like, what the fuck? But then also those moments of like everything clicking together and like it all just coming in this perfect flow state at the end with the player and with the story. The structure goes as follows. It starts with great mystery. That is the incident, the overall mystery happening. Then a small mystery, which is going to be a simple little contradiction. Then you're going to solve that little contradiction. Then development, new information from the solved mystery of the contradiction is what's going to open the case up. Then great turnabout, where you're going back and forth, just slowly picking away using that first contradiction at the whole case. And then the big solving of the case at the end. And that's, a, that's pretty true for every, every trial. Give or take, um, it's the that that core flow is so I is so good. It's so like you, I don't care how many times I go through it. 
there's that like high tension music that starts to build when you realize that like you're running out of options, that the uh, killer who's right there on the stand in front of you, that you know fucking did it uh, half the time because you saw them do it in a cutscene, which is usually kind of weird, yeah. is like about <laughs> to walk and everything gets like kind of quiet and you you're just left with your. Uh, you know, all the testimony, all the evidence, all the profiles in front of you, and you just got to pull something out of your ass. And even your character on screen is like, I better bluff and just get figure out something to keep this alive. And you find the one weird little inconsistency, like, wait, how did you say the TV was on if there was a blackout at the time, according to this uh, news report? Like, and you just you present it. There's a flashing uh, health meter, which maybe if you're new to these games has been like knocked down a few times because you were like suggesting the wrong piece of evidence a couple of times. The thing goes quiet. You go, objection! You present it and then the music starts kicking back in with like hype and up-tempo and everything's going crazy. The guy at the stand is like getting nervous and like freaking out a little and it just feels so good. It, and it, this happens every case. This is how every case goes. And it still feels so amazing. Absolutely. I, I also, when it comes to adventure games and the games that uh, Takumi was used to, of course, in Mystery House, he talked about how he would have to type in open door to open the door. And this was one of their first issues they had to solve because he realized, like, I can't, like have people having to type in their deductions, having to type in their contradictory evidence. On the D-pad of the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So instead, he realized, let's solve this issue with the cross-examination mechanic and with the presentation of pieces of evidence as opposed to typing in commands. Takumi said, in cross-examination scenes, witnesses usually make about five utterances. Suppose the player has five different pieces of evidence. If you need to prove a contradiction in the witness testimony by presenting a piece of evidence at the precise part, then you'll have five utterances times five pieces of evidence, so 25 options. And with that, there's the feeling that you're truly worked it out yourself, and you make your own reasoning, and I had the feeling at that moment that this may well become a completely new kind of game. And again, going back to the simplicity of the game, it really feels that way, because they literally say... Five different statements, mm-hmm. give or take, right? Very simple statements. I got up at six in the morning and had breakfast mm-hmm. first thing, right? Let's say. And then you can go, hold it, and you can scream, hold it, into your microphone if you want. Nobody does that. Nobody, everyone just hits the button. <laughs> and that is how you get them to elaborate just a little bit more on that one statement that they made. And again, you're repeating those five statements and the elaborations on those statements over and over again and looking at your evidence until you're ready to try to contradict something with a piece of evidence. And as simple as it is, there's just enough choice going on there that it makes it challenging and makes it really involved while at the same time you never feel overwhelmed by information and like one might reading a mystery story. I think now is the time to complain a little because the way Shu Takumi uh, writes these and lays out these scenarios, sometimes you'll actually see a contradiction uh, hours ahead of when you're supposed to actually present it. Yes. Where like you understand. Very much so. You're like, you know, you go through the evidence. You're like, how could he have done this? And deep down you're like, oh, that is definitely a false painting and he looked through it or, so, or you know, whatever. You, you come down to it and you, or, so you'll be in a scenario where Phoenix Wright is, you know, stroking his chin being like, what's the piece of evidence that'll crack this thing wide open? 
and you'll be like, it's the painting, it's a painting, yeah. and you present the painting. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. instead it's, and you just keep getting penalized over and over again to the point where you almost have to restart the trial and waste like even more time. And you go online and the answer was like, no, you have to look at a, you have to, you have to look at a photo of a banana. Yeah. Then it'll fail, but you won't get penalized because then Maya Faye channels the spirit of uh, her dead sister and her dead sister tells you a piece of information you didn't know before. And you're just like, oh, come on. That was the example on that YouTube video that was showing the the general complaints about the series in a really comical way. It was like, you can't present the banana. You have to present a picture of the banana. And I think that is another one of my gripes definitely about the game is just that it's almost it's just a little too rigid. I almost feel like they should. He should open it up and make one or the other also work. Sometimes that happens, but very rarely. Usually, you have to pick the one that they need you to pick, even though the other one technically would work as a contradictory piece of evidence. So, yeah, I definitely, I definitely have some gripes with that. But it's 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 easy to get past, especially you know. I'm gonna just say it right now. If you run into a wall, just fucking look it up. I try not to look stuff up for as long as you can, but eventually, there's probably gonna be something. Just look it up and just. Keep moving with the story. It's it's just it's made to be a fun romp, uh, like reading a mystery novel, just more interactive. But uh, still, it's still a really brilliant system, so as to get around that command type uh, adventure game system for sure. Uh, there was also going to be initially three folks at the law office in the first game: the lawyer, the assistant, and the mentor, uh, played by uh, first Phoenix Wright, then Maya, and then Mia. So Maya was the assistant, and her it's her older sister is Mia, right? I yeah. just want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. And then Mia, and they have their spiritually connected. Weirdly enough, a mentor of his at uh, Capcom asked him to cut out one of the two extra characters. So he just did a weird workaround where he just had Mia killed early on in the game. And then Maya is a spirit medium who can channel Mia mm-hmm. whenever they need her help for some big important moment. So they literally just kept the three characters in the game technically, but got her out of the, you know, of being present at every trial and all that. In case you somehow forgot that what we're talking about is a Japanese visual novel based game series. Uh, when Maya does channel her sister Mia, her boobs grow. Yes. In order to signify that this is Mia talking. That's one of the main indicators. Uh, this is, is She true. gets taller and her boobs triple in size. This is very true. It's weird when her even younger sister also does it. It's very upsetting when that happens. Ugh. Let's talk about Takumi's writing process. First, he comes up with the crux of the story, with the type of case and the catch to it, the twist. That's his first thing. It's the gimmick, essentially, is the like the main main point of the of the case of the mystery. Then he likes to uh, build out the characters around it, and then that leads to more and more story elements. And he likes to get very detailed about the characters' backstories, aside from Phoenix Wright, who is left a little more ambiguous, at least up up top, because he wants you know the player character to kind of feel like a connection to him. Uh, but the other characters, he really is like likes to fill out the world, fill out their backstories. And the more and more he does that, he's able to add more story beats and and elements that way. Then he gives the scenarios to peers. They critique the script, and then he does some revisions, takes it to the programmers. He describes his world as, quote, comical and sloppy. In order to make it a more fun experience, and he gleefully drifts from reality all the time in order to never get too dark or serious. Uh, also, the comedy helps pad out the bad feels and the player gets something wrong, and I love that. I love this quote from Takumi. I never thought about it. The text a player reads after getting it wrong is also an important factor in adventure games. 
And I think that's so true. We always think about the correct path, but how you treat the player in those negative moments, because you do feel shitty. When you present evidence and it doesn't work, it does. it is kind of a fuck. Like You feel like you failed, and so... Phoenix kind of fails with you, and he's very quickly knocked off his podium. You know what I mean? He's very quickly, and those animations also help, where he just looks like he's got the sweat in his brow, and he just looks so defeated. It helps really connect you with him, and also realize, like, hey, this is just a goofy game. You don't have to get too upset. As the games went on, the approach was to lean even more into the absurdity, by the way. Uh, Some people feel Trials and Tribulations is the strongest of the whole series. That's the third game in the trilogy. Takumi said, from the second game onwards, I decided to take the character designs in a new direction. In the first game, the characters were meant to be real, but not real. Uh, But with the second game, we made them 100% out of this world. One character that represents this to a T is the whip-loving Francisca von Karma. Her impossibly indiscriminate whip strikes down witnesses, lawyers, and even the judge who just takes this physical abuse by this lawyer. Uh, Yet, despite all that not a single person on the team told me it was a totally ridiculous idea when I first proposed it. So while the first ace attorney had laid the groundwork, we kept taking things further and further until one day a coffee-loving masked prosecutor named Godot appeared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I now uh, in my notes, Jake, have the commentary on the Japanese legal system. Let's get into it. So wait, hold it. You know, criminal trials are fairly, uh, you know, up in the air things. A good uh, defense lawyer can often uh, point out uh, how uh, the police and the prosecution's case is faulty and get their client off on technicalities, get them uh, cases dismissed, appeal cases. Why are these, uh, why why is the whole premise of this series about uh, turnabout, split-second, nail-biting, impossible odds. I don't quite get it. Japan has, get this, a 99.9% conviction rate. It's essentially the opposite when it comes to America. And so all of the bigwig hotshot lawyers in Japan are the prosecution, the prosecuting attorneys. Whereas in America, of course, we think of the OJ trial and like Shapiro and all those kind of folks that and, and every, you know, especially we're talking Dershowitz. We're talking Kardashian. We're talking all the we're talking every all the cool guys in their big fancy cars. Yeah. We're talking uh, millionaire lifestyles. If a rich person murdered someone, they hire a richer lawyer and get them off. It's a very capitalism based <laughs> yeah. law system, right? The more money you have the better lawyer you're going to be able to hire and the better chance you are to get off in this country. Whereas in Japan, there's a few different things going on. I think one of the more interesting things is there's a general idea culturally of subservience in the society of being having devotion and loyalty to the, the country, to the system you come up with. And therefore, it would almost be like a slap in the face to the Japanese government to say, hey, that person's not guilty, mm-hmm. you know, because that means they're wrong and they can't be wrong. They're the ones that you dev- are fully devoted to. That's like one element. I think there's a few different ones. It is. Uh, well, here is it is from Japanese lawyer Moraoka uh, Keiichi. 
The prosecution has too much authority and the defense has too little. This would not be the situation if Japan had a bona fide adversarial system. But the fact of the matter is that the balance of power in Japan, uh, Japanese courts is skewed. I will also say, because I always thought that just they were just handing out guilty verdicts like it was nobody's business, even for people who were clearly not guilty. No. What happens is the guilty verdicts are handed out to usually the guilty The problem is the not guilty verdicts just don't get handed out because the prosecutors have ways to put off cases, either not take cases at all that involve uh, obvious not guilty verdict. I mean, you've been playing a lot of the Yakuza series. You're aware of how many crimes go unprosecuted in Japan. This is very true because they'll also just incessantly delay a case that there's a clear not guilty verdict in store for the uh, defense. And so... That's more why. It's the delaying. It's the constantly just keeping things in limbo. Uh, In fact, about 60% of cases get deferred in this fashion. So that's why we've got this 99.9. So you're saying it's not because, as uh, as highlighted in the Phoenix Wright games, a very fancy man in a cravat and a admiral's jacket uh, has forged evidence of a teddy bear. (laughs) In order to prosecute someone. Well, I will say, you know, going back to Von Karma, even whipping the judge to smack him down and intimidate him, that actually holds a little bit of water because apparently judges actually do balk at the power of the prosecutors and they avoid having a caustic relationship with them Mm -hmm. because that's how powerful prosecutors are in Japanese law system that the judges feel uh, have to feel a little bit like they have to kind of give it up to the prosecutor in certain ways. So yeah, there's just this very skewed system. I mean, shit, man, I thought it was bad here with with uh, you know the rich getting off. I mean, it is disgusting here with that. But ninety nine point nine percent conviction rate is fucking astounding, and it's getting close to a full hundred percent. By the way, like. It is really, really atrocious. And so, though Takumi has always said, like, this is not a commentary on any of that, at the same time, you can't help but see this young up-and-coming lawyer taking on these impossible cases where they've already decided before the trial starts that the, the person is guilty, and then slowly chipping away at these high-powered prosecutors uh, and a judge that is clearly on the prosecutor's side and finally gets that non, not guilty verdict and becomes like the best at it, essentially. I think it's definitely there. And I think it's so fascinating to think about, especially growing up in the, our situation with, you know, being a kid through the OJ trial. I mean, the idea of the high powered lawyer kind of. Mm-hmm thing yes. uh, by the way my father more of a contract lawyer haha <laughs> so he doesn't yeah he is actually really he did some trial law but he was like one of the good guys like he got you know he fought back against like the health care whatever dude my dad's a good i don't come after my dad right he's a fucking good guy okay just, uh, leave him alone all right also don't Jeez attack Holden's dad. he's too strong he'll he'll defeat you and don't attack me i'm weak <laughs> and you'll beat me and uh and then you'll feel bad it'll be one of those beat ups where you're like you feel really bad right after because i'll just lay there and let you do it <laughs> All right, so also talking about Phoenix Wright a little bit, getting into some of the character stuff. Takumi is essentially Phoenix Wright, a.k.a., by the way, uh, Ryuichi Naruhodo is the name of the character over there in Japan. Naruhodo is an exclamation that's usually kind of the Japanese equivalent of like, oh, I see, or like, oh, I got it. So it's kind of... Just like I said earlier... How his philosophy was he wants moments of surprise and moments of, oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Literally, the name means that. 
<laughs> it, it stands for those moments that he wants to put in the game. Uh, and actually, Takumi himself voices Ryuichi. The staff did all of the voices for the first set of games. That would change later on. Takumi said, I wrote without thinking too much about it, which means that the things that Phoenix says are pretty much what I would say in those situations, and his way of thinking is very close to mine. You could say Phoenix Wright was Shu Takumi in all but name, although I must admit my passion and sense of justice aren't as strong as Phoenix's, and I don't have a habit of shouting, objection, like he does. And uh, Maya Faye was actually created to give Phoenix someone to just bounce off of during investigations, to give hints during trials. The first of many teen girls that have just found their way uh, as uh, (laughs) Phoenix Wright's sounding board to offer color commentary and cute sprite animation. Now, we've mentioned it slightly, but I think we need to highlight a little bit more how fantastic these sprites are and the animation that happens (laughs) in these games because of how much they do with so, so little. Sue Kane Kumiko designed a majority of the characters, including uh, Phoenix Wright, Miles Edgeworth, Maya, and Mia. And because the staff was so small, she ends up also wearing a bunch of hats. She ends up designing that iconic logo and objection bubble uh, and a lot of other flashy visuals. And if you go back, I love the logo for Phoenix Wright and, of course, the objection bubble as well. They're so splashy. I know exactly what it is the second I see it with that silhouette with the hair. They purposely made his hair like that to kind of give that iconic silhouette look. Another designer was Iwamoto Tatsuro, who designed characters like Will Powers and Manfred von Karma. He is also the one that was most enthusiastic about creating those iconic sprite looks when they start breaking down or getting frustrated with Phoenix as he picks holes in their testimony. So that is very important. And what uh, such a fun part of the experience for gamers is watching as you slowly pick away at someone and, and, and nail them down on their contradictions. You watch them slowly and slowly become more and more distressed until they just totally have an absolute breakdown. And they go from like totally put together and totally like they, everyone has such a specific look. They all need to have these iconic looks so you remember them. And they're always like very put together sassy or just they don't give a shit or nonchalant. You know what I mean? They're either cool or aristocratic or uh, hiding or any number one of like a facade that you think is a phony person. Uh, A simpering like uh, salesman, a cute like trendy it girl, like all these different characters and you just see the mask slip off. Um, I will say what's really incredible is during these trial sequences, uh, especially like towards the later case in each game where you're kind of like taking all these loose strings and bringing them together in a very bombastic way you're kind of making you're bringing the journey home uh you'll see these characters that you've been staring at the same sprite over and over again for hours and hours on a hand and then you'll just drop one piece of evidence and they'll do something new yeah and it's such like and all it is is like maybe one and a half new drawings that they're just shifting around a little and adding to the animation loop that they previously established for a character and it feels so amazing like it feels like a whole new world has opened up um, one other thing about the character design is uh, uh, Kumiko Suekani, who you mentioned, who designed Phoenix Wright and uh, Miles Edgeworth. Uh, she actually, uh, in her off time under the pseudonym Ryo Mutobe, uh, makes Yaoi Dojinshi. She does boys love comics on the side. And it's very funny to me that without even intending it, her innate character design, whatever you want to call the female gaze of making like, Phoenix Wright and uh, Edgeworth, these kind of like 
kind of smaller head, broad shouldered, kind of soft but manly men who have a deep past together and a connection and a rivalry inspired so much uh, fan art of the two of them kissing all the time. <laughs> I think that's just, I don't know, like if, if it was a male character designer, maybe that wouldn't have been communicated effectively. It's just an ironic little twist to the point where uh, there's a YouTube video that ranks very highly if you search for uh, Phoenix Wright that goes into this and uh, uh, Shu uh, Takumi uh, like was surprised after the first game came out and was like, oh, uh, more so than game reviews, I'm seeing a lot of hot, sweaty man love comics on these characters. That's who's <laughs> buying this game. That's what we got to cater to. And That's apparently funny. put in a lot more like hornier male <laughs> characters in the subsequent games to which um, Kumiko Suhikane was like, this is not sexy. You guys fuck this up, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. They try to make it like mm-hmm. a weird like male gaze kind of version of a horny, sexy guy. That's so funny. Just to let you know how like crazy it was for them to fit what they needed to fit into a single Game Boy Advance cartridge, they ended up having to actually reuse characters in other stories just in order to uh, be able to fit those stories and those story beats into the cartridge so that they didn't have to double up, triple up on sprite animations and stuff like that. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Famously, the character of Larry Butts, who is a recurring comic relief character of, I'm going to say, mixed popularity <laughs> with his uh, loud Japanese comedy stylings. Uh, he was not intended to be uh, Phoenix and Edgeworth's like childhood chum yeah. and like a deep part of the story. They just realized uh, when they were adding the tutorial level, because originally they were going to start the first game with just Mia getting off, but they were like, ah, that's a little too much too quick. They needed an extra witness for this new tutorial level, but they had run out of space for graphics. So they brought Larry Butts back and wrote him in to be a more integral part of the series lore, which is very, we could have lived in a Larry Buttsless franchise if want for a couple of kilobytes of space. <laughs> if, it was, if it came out on the DS instead of the Game Boy Advance at first. Yeah. The music was composed by Masakazu Sujimori. Sujimori said, Mr. Takumi gave instructions to make music that wouldn't interfere with the thinking process of the player during the deduction scenes and that he needed each scene to have completely different sounding music with, for example, music with a tense tone during trial. It's pulled off brilliantly. It's very, very good use of background music. It helps absolutely build that tension, but it never overtakes. It never feels like it outwears its welcome. It's just, it's very, a very positive, positive uh, uh, thoughts about the music experience while playing these games. It's really nice. Uh, just for an example, um, uh, okay, so here's like 
the courtroom lobby music, which is another common theme. It's like things are peaceful, but a little bit tense. Like, okay, uh, just play a little bit of the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney OSD courtroom lobby track. Like, okay, just setting the mood, pretty much music, background music. But then when the trial's getting in full blast and you're laying down evidence and things are on the cusp of breaking through, this track drops and this is Pursuit. And this theme is I is one of the most memorable tracks in all of Japanese gaming. So hype. You're so ready. Your pulse is pumping. It's like it has like an EDM kind of uh, backbeat to it, but it's still just kind of beepy boopy 16 uh, bit music. I love it so much. So the game comes out on the Game Boy Advance in Japan in 2001. It gets rave reviews, though it does not kill it necessarily in sales. It does good enough that Capcom enjoys what they see and asks Takumi to make two more games. He's exhausted. He is tapped out. He goes on a well-deserved vacation, gets back to it as soon as he gets back. Uh, a little jarring even for him how much he had to immediately get back. And the demands, of course, for the sequel are always high. It's so funny with the game industry. It's always like, I worked so hard. I made this amazing thing. It's actually a success. And then we, the dev companies turn around and go, now you're actually extra fucked. Now we need a deadline, and this next one's got to come out. You've got no time for it. And now we see you. Also, Gary and marketing didn't hit his target last quarter. So yeah. he just told the executives you're going to sell eight times more copies. Good luck with that. Exactly. So he needs uh, to up the episodes in the game. I believe it's up to five scenarios. Write it all before production started. And production would be starting in less than four months. He also felt tapped for ideas after the first one. And uh, <laughs> as he said, that was like all he had for mystery stories. Somehow he manages to write this next game script all in time for the deadline. And it amounts to six binders and 1,500 pages total. The sequel added those psych locks, which are telepathic locks on a witness. This is more during the investigation part where they're holding something back from you in the investigation interview. You need to unlock these locks using evidence and things like that to, to get them to uh, reveal some very important tidbit to you that's going to be used in the trial. This helped to pad out and diversify the investigation sections. This game also introduced the character of Pearl Faye, the pu plucky kid that was supposed to be a one-shot character that Takumi took a liking to, so became a mainstay for the series. Pearl's great. Uh, the second game was subtitled Justice for All, released in 2002, and then they dove straight back into development with what would be Trials and Tribulations. Edgeworth was actually used, Miles Edgeworth, the character, was actually used differently for these games because, as you were saying before, he pr proved to be very successful with the ladies. So Takumi decided he wanted to bring him back, but he didn't want to bring him back and, and be like, hey, ladies, watch this guy lose a bunch more. He can't be a jobber. No, he, he can't be a jobber. And from that point onward... Whenever Miles Edgeworth shows up, that means shit's serious, even though he then loses because he it obviously wouldn't be a video game if he lost. And it also opens the door by making that choice to a revolving set of prosecutors. Each game, you get these new fun 
ex- exciting, ridiculous characters that he gets to go up against in a trial. Uh, and yeah, uh, you actually get to play as Miles in the third game for for a case. The, tri- the third game releases in 2004 on the Game Boy Advance. It is generally regarded, as I said, as one of the best in the series. Uh, and after that, Takumi is like, I'm done. I'm stepping away. We're not doing another one of these. It's over. You get three, you see, and nothing more. And then, wouldn't you know it, they're eventually going to say, hey, we're either going to do this with or without you, which is that old, I feel like I say that in almost every episode when the author does, or the artist wants to be finished and then the company forces his, his or her hand. It's really well- annoying. I will say, uh, this is not to snub Takeshi Yamazaki, who was a planner on the original Ace Attorney game and was key to the creation of uh, Justice for All and was there for Trials and Tribulations, as well as the DS remake Ace Attorney, or I'm sorry, Apollo Justice Ace Attorney. Uh, You know, we didn't, uh, just to acknowledge that it happened when the game was released for DS, it was kind of a re-release and they added a whole gigantic extra chapter that incorporated a ton of DS-specific features, including touching and rotating pieces of evidence with newfangled polygonal graphics. It has one of, I think, the best, maybe the best goddamn villains in the entire game with, uh, with uh, what's his name, Gant, the uh, the police chief who's like with the lightning hair. Uh-huh. He's fucking amazing. I also, and I let's I have it here to talk about localization for that DS release as well. So let's get into it before we move on to Apollo Justice. In 2005, it is localized, released, as you said, on the Nintendo DS. Um, and they make these really smart fundamental changes that I think help this become such a huge deal for the American audience, because the fact that an American audience latched onto this series is nothing short of a miracle, in my opinion. It just seems like the type of thing on paper that would not get across. Too out there, too too many unknown factors, too many. Uh, we talk all the time about how the elevator pitch, like what on earth are they going to put on the back of an EGM magazine ad to sell you on this Japanese lawyer game? But uh, they do some things. They make some changes. They change uh, Japan. They they switch it over to the city of Los Angeles. And they give all the characters American names. The first game is uh, localized by Alexander O. Smith at Bound Global. And they redid all the vocals as well as a full English translation. And the second game on was done by Janet Sue. And Janet is amazing. Talks a lot about the approach. Because it's not just a direct translation. It's not just like really good translating it, it is much more about trying to understand how to communicate culturally something from east to west. One of the key examples is uh, it's it's actually it, there, this is where we get a lot of the fandom memes about the monumental task of kind of maintaining this uh, localization kayfabe, for lack of a better word. But a good example of this is um, how uh, Maya's favorite food in the game is hamburgers. Whereas in Japan, it was ramen because in America, ramen is kind of a fancy. If you're going to a ramen restaurant, chances are you're going to like a cool, trendy place in downtown Los Angeles and it's going to cost like 25 bucks. Whereas uh, a hamburger is a more like working class, humbler food. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the joke is, is that you, you'll see... Maya in a full kimono kneeling at a low table in the middle of a tea house, like pouring the bowl up to her head. And she's like, I love hamburgers. Like, you know, it's very silly, (laughs) especially because while the first game uh, was very subdued and took place in this Tokyo urban setting. Yeah. And so it was easy to be like, ah, it's Los Angeles. That's why they're in buildings. That's why it's a city. 
so many of the different things in the game uh, rely on Japanese cultural mores like uh, festival seasons, yokai monsters, the tokusatsu live action uh, Power Rangers styled children's television genre. Yep. And so the strain that these poor localizers have to do to be like, uh, yeah, it's weird. In the middle of Los Angeles, there's a Hanabi festival for <laughs> Japanese cultural celebration day. That's why that's happening. Janet Sue said she had to keep her own headcanon that this was an alternate reality where there was no anti-immigration feelings in America and therefore Japanese culture, along with all the other immigration cultures, were much more able to expand in America and become much more part of the day-to-day life. And that's such a sad thing that she had to do and also uh, really worked and... I think this mishmash of the two, though, was just made it more engaging for me as someone who loves Japanese culture and thinks that stuff is amazing and fascinating. But there were so many efforts made to communicate this game to an American audience. And there were even a lot of liberties taken with the humor in the game, just again, to better communicate this overall vibe of this thing to an American audience as much as the dirty details. The game uh, also on DS, so much better. If you have a DS lying around and you haven't played this series yet, having that touch screen at the bottom and the big screen up at the top and the way that you're choosing evidence and things like that, it's really, really... I I was shocked to know that it was a a Game Boy Advance game initially because it really feels like it was made specifically for the double screen, touch screen of the Nintendo DS. It was a uh, purpose it was the art style was kept relatively simple on purpose to create a sense of continuity between the uh, DS remakes and the later t- and the and how the titles kind of came out so that one didn't stand out. It all felt like a complete trilogy, which I think is really well done because. Um, but yeah, by the time the DS came out, they could have done a lot more higher res artwork. They could have added more animation, but they were just a, they just were. They just had a little bit of self-control to keep that continuity, and I think that was a good idea. Uh, In terms of some of their localization, there's a moment uh, where uh, during a circus, a circus case, which uh, a lot of people are very mad at, (laughs) uh, it's Injustice for All, it's called Turnabout Big Time. I remember that one. Uh, Mo the Clown drops a uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reference, talking about how he was born and raised in West Clownadelphia, a lot of people meme that moment as kind of a clunky localization effort. But frankly, it just makes me love it more. It just makes me love it more. I think it's hilarious. So we've got a new protagonist in Apollo Justice as the uh, franchise continues forward. Takuma reluctantly brought back to make the fourth game, though he does step away as director uh, and only serves as scenario writer and supervisor with Mitsuro Indo taking on the director role. He also didn't want Phoenix in the game, and so introduced Apollo Apollo Justice. They were eventually uh, able to convince Takumi to include Phoenix as the first defendant. The new game replaced spiritual assistance with Apollo's perception abilities. He's able to see body language slower and more detail to catch someone lying or someone giving off like their story is inconsistent. The DS had a lot more storage to work with, too, so that, that goes out the window. We don't think about that, but... Now that they're working on the DS, they can just sprites aren't as big of a deal. They can really get a lot crazier with all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, this allowed them to do things like uh, they couldn't before, such as examining evidence. Mm-hmm. 
and that adds another layer. So you're, you're able to actually take each piece of evidence and look into it deeper. I almost think of that in Resident Evil, how you can take an item and turn, spin it around and find a latch on it that might open it up to more stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. I don't believe there's any big complaints about the Apollo Justice series. It's more of that stuff. And I think uh, also Takumi always wanted there to be consistency when it came to these games. And therefore, you're never going to have like a giant, whoa, this next game, they really fucking turn it on its side. You know what I mean? Uh, when it comes to at least the proper Ace Attorney games. In Apollo Justice, when they introduce how Phoenix Wright has like fallen from grace and lost his uh, attorney's license and is like a barely recognizable character, it is truly an incredible like shock gut punch for fans to the point where I believe the case is called Turnabout Trump. Uh, unfortunate meaning now. <laughs> um you know, it's he's this like jazz playing, poker dealing, like kind of la- lout, <laughs> and kind of uh, a lot of the game is fight figuring out what happened to uh, Phoenix right to the point where the last case is this monumentally insane thing where you're hopping between different like time eras and different cases and gathering evidence in like a non-linear scale. It's like a crazy finish to that <laughs> game. I got to go play yeah. it. I, that's that's one I haven't gotten to, and uh, but I I. Hey, I, I'm ready for more at this point, I think. Uh, at this point, uh, Takeshi Yamazaki takes over the franchise. And on the DS, we get um, a kind of a spinoff game called uh, uh, Ace Attorney Investigations Miles Edgeworth. Yes. Which is uh, based on Miles Edgeworth's story. Uh, a lot of kind of side characters have come up through there. Uh, the relationship with Dick Gumshoe, lovable out Dick Gumshoe. Ooh, Dick Gumshoe is great. I love Dick Gumshoe. He's such a funny character. Dick He's Gumshoe like so is so good. falsely confident and then immediately brought down uh, on to back to his level. And he's just, he's a very mainstay character that I would be sad to not see in any one of the proper games in this series. He's always, always one of those, like you said, comfort, food, comfort. Kind of characters when it comes to this franchise. My, uh, Investigations, Miles Edgeworth, and its sequel, which I don't think made it to America. I ended up having to play a ROM hack to like play this one. Uh, Miles Investigation, Miles Edgeworth two have some really memorable cases of their own, and a lot of people really liked what Yamazaki was doing in these games. Uh, it's like any of these games. There's some cases that are really memorable with incredibly like iconic characters, and other ones that are just kind of fluff. There's a supposed third case syndrome in this game series where uh, the middle case is kind of an offshoot story that doesn't affect the greater plot as it's been established. And so it kind of feels like filler. And a lot of people are say those are the weakest cases in each game. It's kind of like odd numbered Star Trek movies to use another nerd curse. (laughs) Um, But his work on these investigation games gives him the reins for Phoenix Wright's uh, screaming return into the polygonal dimension, Dual Destinies, mm. as well as uh, the follow-up to that, Spirit of Justice. And for all the work that we said they did with sprite work to kind of give these characters a lot of like uh, energy and emotion and kind of doing a lot of characterization with very little effort, it's amazing how these two games translate the over-the-top world of Phoenix Wright to a 3D engine. It's it feels like a classic game. It's kind of incredible. That's awesome. They also add some anime cutscenes, but uh, it it really is the kind of uh, how these like the the breakdowns of the suspects on the bench are so 
emotive and so crazy, even though they're having to work with the kind of stiffer animation style. They did a lot of amazing work to translate the series to 3D to the point where, you know, when these games first came out, I was like, oh, it had been a couple of years, especially because uh, the Investigations games, uh, Investigations 2 didn't come out in America. It had been a while. I had been missing Phoenix Wright. And the idea was like, oh, is it going to be the same in 3D? And it totally is. There's also, and I believe this is in 3D as well, the Professor Layton crossover. Talk about another series of DS games I absolutely fell in love with. The Professor Layton games are essentially very British, mystery, like young boy mystery type of games. Uh, there's this detective and his boy assistant, and they always end up in these quaint little towns, and there's always a mystery. But the main crux of the game is that it's really a game of mini games where you're going around talking to different people and they have different little simple little puzzles to solve. And uh, I just absolutely love these games. I loved the animations. There were all these always great cutscenes in these games as well that I really lived for. I just thought these were such a quaint, charming, fun series. And I love to see that Layton and Ace Attorney have crossed over. I have not played my DS in a long time, but that is this game that I would absolutely like to pick up. And they did get Takumi back for that one. Apparently, too, is a very unique collaboration because the Professor Layton and Ace Attorney teams fully collaborated on this for this product as yeah. opposed to just licensing it to some other dev company and having them just kind of create some mishmash. It's a really I think it really does seem like a labor of love. It's not a uh, it's not a Street Fighter versus Tekken situation where yeah. just one company licensed out the characters and the other company just made it all. Yeah, it's it's actually a, a, a fluid combination of the two. Then there are the great Ace Attorney games, the games take place in the 19th century. You may have seen them on your Switch menu recently because they were, part one and two were released together on the Switch um, actually just like in the last week or so, uh, maybe a month or so ago when you hear this, but they follow Phoenix Wright's ancestor, Ryunosuke Naruhodo, who teams up with uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, by the way, in the States, the name had to be changed to Herlock Sholmes so, uh, because of licensing. Interesting thing. Um, <laughs> so stupid. We mentioned at this point almost 90 minutes ago that uh, Takumi first got his love of Sherlock Holmes by reading an Arsene Lupin uh, story in which he faced off against the famous detective. Uh -huh. And in that original published story, the French author actually had to call his detective Herlock Sholmes <laughs> or whatever the French equivalent was in order to avoid copyright in the exact same way. That's fine. So it is a weird, uh, you know, it's it's like poetry, Holden. It rhymes. I love it. Uh, Takumi uh, also, it was just a way for Takumi to introduce uh, his, a younger audience or any audience to those beloved mystery classics from his youth. It all comes back around full circle. It was released back in 2015 in Japan. Recently, uh, more recently, it was released here. You can play it on Switch, PC, or PS4. And uh, I definitely want to pick them up very soon. They look great. I just watched some gameplay. Definitely seems like they cleaned some things up, working with those 3D sprite animations as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm I'm ready to rock. I, I, love that. I love that this is a franchise I can constantly come back to and try new games out. And I love how consistent they are because I do know what I'm getting in an experience with this from game to game. They're never going to shake it up too much. I don't think they need to. It's about the stories. It's about the characters. Do they need to shake up Law and Order? Do they need to shake up yeah. like uh, CSI? Like you know, these are yeah, exactly. There's a comfort That's to exactly a mystery box. A great, great analogy. Yeah, it's uh, completely. I do not. That being said, Shutakumi, do not release Phoenix Wright SVU. I do not want that. <laughs> I don't that is, need in fact, that. Don't shake it up. Don't shake it up. Please don't do that. 
Uh, there, of course, have been several manga adaptations through the years, uh, you know, manga versions of the games, but also, you know, news stories, things like that. Uh, a live-action film was released in 2012 directed by Takashi Miike, and it's pretty batshit. It's great. It's great. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Look it up. Uh, Takeshi, Takeshi Miike, uh, famous horror, uh, Japanese horror director, has made like a trillion films. He does like everything he does. Uh, his like go-to move is, do I have a small budget? Then I'm just going to go batshit insane because no matter what, you can't talk about how cheap it looks if I'm doing so many batshit crazy things. You will notice me. You said he also did the uh, JoJo movie, He did do right? the JoJo movie that recently came out. But uh, in the live action movie... Uh, it's, it's, it kind of takes this weird Baroque kind of, uh, darker twist on the Phoenix Wright universe, but everyone's still reacting and talking as if it was in still the anime style. And that like mixture of style and execution makes it so weirdly watchable. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie because, um, you know, it does go on a little bit long cause it has to cover an entire game's worth of story in a shorter time. But I will say, uh, if you're a fan of the games and haven't watched it yet, it is look it up. It is worth your time. You will be completely flabbergasted by what they do in this movie. Uh, and, of course, there's anime adaptation stuff. And, of course, of course, of course, not just one. Several stage plays have been made out of the Phoenix Wright franchise over in Japan. I have, for I, despite my love for the Death Note musical that I was breathlessly in love with during our Death Note episode, I have not engaged with the uh, Phoenix Wright stage plays as much as I should have this week. And I apologize to you, the listener. Despite all your rage, you still have not watched Phoenix Wright on the stage. And wow. I totally understand that. Hold it! <laughs> <laughs> Objection! I object to all of this episode. No, I do not. I love this franchise. I honestly recommend. I also believe you can get the original trilogy on Steam. I'm not sure, but I'm assuming also on Switch. Matt, things of that nature. A fun thing that is uh, a lot of these games are available on mobile. Oh, yeah. The games work really well on mobile, especially because now on your smartphone, you can just open up a web browser tab and look up a solution if you can't find it. Yes. Uh, But I played uh, Spirit of Justice and Dual Destinies on my phone, and I found the experience really great. I would actually recommend that or like the Switch because I really found these to be great travel games. Really, really good games to take with you on the road or on a flight or whatever it is. So take it from me. (laughs) Try them out, huh? That's how I say things at the end of the show. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for the Phoenix Wright episode. Fantastic series. Very deserving. Very interesting to learn about Takumi. Uh, and his love of mystery novels. Very interesting to learn about the court system in Japan and how fucked shit that is. But also, uh, just a lot of fun hanging out with you, Jake. If you'd like to check us out further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. You can follow us there. You can support us there, rather, if you'd like to uh, catch some extra bonus episodes. We've got weekly bonus episodes for $5 a month. And if you want, you can hang out with us on our Discord Sunday study hangs for $15 a month where we all get together talk about and share and enjoy the whatever topic we're researching that week. It's as helpful for us as it may be entertaining for you. Give it a shot. Also, just a really great way to uh, meet some other people in this community. Awesome, awesome crew of people we got. 
our diehards, our, our, our true blue whiz brews, as I call them. And uh, check me out on twitch.tv forward slash holdnatorsho. I may be on paternity leave when this episode comes out, but normally I stream on Monday, Tuesdays, and Fridays when I'm not taking that month or so off to, oh, I don't know, keep a baby alive. Jake? Do you want to help keep a baby alive? Go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew because every dollar you donate, uh, half of that will go to Holden's baby. <laughs> Or his Nintendo Switch collection, depending go. on how it pans out that month. Uh, but the, either way, you're supporting a desperate, helpless creature. I love it. Follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung. And uh, if you enjoy anything that I've said or done, I highly recommend, I implore you to go to YouTube.com slash PuppetJared, which is the VTuber channel I've started recently. I do weekly streams and playing some fun indie games. I One of my favorites is watching... Uh, weird, bad 90s cartoons and doing on-the-fly critiques, especially talking about what's happening with the chat as it's airing. Um, I think if you like Whisper, you're going to like what's going down over on the Puppet Jared YouTube channel. Uh, you can also follow at Puppet Jared on Twitter to see when I'm streaming. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.